I started uh, Gag Me With A Spoon because I really love to, I love to hear people's personal stories. I think we're more fascinating than fiction. And I really like the community building aspect of, in a small town like Duluth, Minnesota, where you think you know everybody, you don't know everybody. And you get to know people on a little deeper level and share vulnerability and grow as a community in the day and age of Facebook. Um, I think it's a connecting thing to share our stories and something we've been doing throughout history. So I'm trying to kind of bring that into my life and hopefully share that with others. I'm going to call up my friend Dee Baskin first. Yeah. Yes. Cool. All right. Go for it. To your story. So thank you for having me. Uh, this is my first time ever doing anything like this, so it will be fun. <laughs> so when I was asked to tell a story about being queer, you know, in social justice, I was like, sure, I've been a troublemaker ever since I've been born. And by born, I mean born cesarean because I just would not come out. That was way before people actually chose to have cesareans. It's just like you just had to have one. It's like this baby's not coming out. Um, but, you know, I probably knew what I was uh, getting myself into. So I spent most of my life uh, trying to feel valid in a space, you know, raised, you know, black, Baptist, in Indiana, if you can imagine that. And I learned at a very young age that being queer was wrong. And not only that, you know, that one wrong thing just made all of me wrong. So, you know, wrong, troublemaker, like I said, since I was born. And at the same time, from a very young age, I also had, you know, this huge heart for helping people and advocating for marginalized people. I remember even in elementary school doing, you know, a service learning project and just being so excited that I had done something to help the poor. But my parents didn't understand that. Like their response was, you want to help the poor? Why don't you help us? We're poor. You know, like I said, just wrong, just wrong. Um, and as I kept on, you know, getting older, of course, you know, very wrong, making trouble, you know, the older I got, you know, the more authentic me I got. And when I mean like authentic me, like so queer, it cannot be hidden or ignored. So I've had issues like someone threatening to call the police on me for being, you know, a man in the women's bathroom. I've had people who are debating my gender, you know, right in front of my face. Well, clearly D's a man because, clearly D's a woman because, actually D, what are you? We're, we're we give up, we're, we're guessing here. And, you know, like I said, right in front of my face, uh, you know, growing up, you know, gender non-conforming and a very, very binary existence. Um, but what I didn't realize until a couple of years ago was that at the root of all of my troublemaking and wrongness, I was actually quite right. Compassionate people who are okay with being unpopular or not fitting in hold a lot of power to change the world. 
I didn't realize until a couple of years ago that all of my life experiences, even those that were terrible, uh, were molding me into this queer social justice warrior. Fast forward to 2017, uh, October 2nd, 2017 to be exact, that was my first day working at Gender Justice, which is a nonprofit legal and policy advocacy organization uh, with the mission of eradicating the causes and consequences of gender inequity. Now that's a mouthful, but basically, um, we feel that people should be able to live as their authentic selves rather than being shoved into cisgender heteronormative boxes. And we do our best to make sure that that happens. So on October 2nd, 2017, that was my first day getting paid to be a troublemaker. <laughs> Three days later, on October 5th of 2017, if you remember um, the Harvey Weinstein horror broke in the New York Times. Also, on October 5th, 2017, as a queer, assigned female at birth, reproductive-aged human being, I realized that working at Gender Justice, I would never have the luxury of leaving my work at work ever again. Before that, you know, I took, you know, my jobs in the past for granted. When I, you know, packed boxes in a warehouse or, you know, answered phones in a call center, when I clocked out for the day, I left my job at my desk and I went home and lived my very, very separate life. But now that I work for an intersectional gender equity organization, my work and my life are basically the same. Sometimes it's really great. Like when someone stops me because they recognize me from a social media photo, or if you know someone overhears a conversation I'm having and they're like, oh yeah, I heard about that case you know, from my teacher, from my friend, or something like that. It makes me feel proud to be doing this work and sometimes I even feel like a celebrity. So that's the cool part, but it can also be terrible that my work and life are basically the same because we live in a time where literally every day there's something happening that's a specific attack on one of my marginalized identities, especially being queer. And every time, let's say, the federal administration makes a short-sighted decision, it hurts me, but not just me. It also hurts clients that I'm dealing with every day. You know, they're real people with real lives, and I'm seeing how so many things affect them. Not to mention all of the people that I never get to see or meet or may not have any way to speak up for themselves. People wonder why I meditate so much, but it's really my only escape in this day and age. And I'm sure even if you know social justice isn't your life's work, you can imagine how crazy making this life can be. However, I wanna end on a positive note. <laughs> so one of the ways I've grown personally uh, being queer in social justice is that I've learned the importance of queer voices being heard in every area of gender rights, whether it's trans issues or abortion or sexual harassment or whatever, it's been scary to see people like me who don't fit comfortably within the gender binary forgotten about or purposely excluded from these dialogues 
but don't be fooled. There's plenty of equality to go around that everyone can have some. But I don't think I would understand the importance of having a queer voice in these spaces if I wasn't one of the living, breathing queer voices in these spaces. So whenever I get burned out and want to quit, which I admit happens a lot these days, um, I remember that I have to be here. It's not just about me and my comfort level, because as I said, I was born a troublemaker. But it's not just about me. There's lots of people who need me to be here doing this work. And I'm very grateful that I'm able to do it. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Sing a song. Sing a song. All Sing right. a song. salt and toss my hair Don't I remind you of somebody somewhere subtle Don't waste your time If you want to catch me You're no friend of mine You in this rodeo now where the kids who got kids at parties I was impossible when I was beautiful now cartoon tattoos don't seem so funny my friend Mary Fox up here. Y'all might recognize Mary Fox from Take It With You or other theater things about town. Fun, moving 
and shaken. Uh, really quick, just thank you. Oh my God, Adeline, what you give this community is insane. Um, so thank you so much, and it's a, it's an honor to be here. And uh, yeah, so I was gonna, you know, we're doing a story, and so I was thinking about what am I what am I gonna talk about? What story am I gonna say? And so I was going to do this story about golf. And then as I was thinking about the story and as it was sort of, you know, coming coming back and I just got very serious and and then and then I'm like, I don't wanna do I don't wanna fucking be serious. I want I don't wanna do that. And but I like, but no, I'm gonna talk about golf. I'm gonna talk about golf. There's this thing that would happen and I really wanna talk about golf. And then it just became so like this self-important bullshit and I was like, I'm not gonna talk about golf. So um, then I started to think about all of the things that have happened in my life that have been so stupid stupid but have I've been like so serious about it and then it like fl falls flat on its face for a real good reason so then I was like okay I'm just gonna talk about some embarrassing shit that has happened to me um, because I think we can all kind of relate um, and so then I was like oh my god my life let's talk about this and this and then I was like okay no um, so um, so I I want to talk about some fun things and in, in like it's like the eye of vulnerability and then I was like okay theater so I'm a performer and an actor um, in town as well as down in Minneapolis or the Twin Cities and so I was like I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you guys some some fun stuff um, we can swear right I just swear yeah, yeah. okay um, so when I was in college, uh, okay, so we're doing a show. It's like this romantic comedy, and it's serious, and this is the, the po point in the show where it's like my partner is like across the stage, and it's a small theater, and it's just absolutely packed. Like every single person is in this theater, and it's this pivotal moment where we're looking at each other, and it's coming, and it's like tears are in our eyeballs, and we have to like cross the theater and embrace. And so we're at that point, and it, you know, it was like opening night, maybe, I don't know. And so we're looking at each other, and we cross the stage, and he, like, picks me up and gives a squeeze, and I fucking farted. <laughs> okay. 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 <laughs> okay. <laughs> Crying, loving it. We're like, we're college kids. We're learning. We're college kids. I'm like what fucking panties are gonna match my bra today? Like it was, so anyway, so you should, so when that happens, you're like, oh God, okay. So what happens is, so picks me up and it was like and it was like a good hefty fart. And then what happens and then, and it's silent. So everyone heard it. And then he sets me down and then we have the look in our eyes like, you just did that, I just did that. And like, can we please get off the stage and talk about it? Um, but what happens in this moment is he's looking in my eyes and I'm fucking terrified and everybody heard me fart. And then he just scoops me up and squeezes and I farted again! So like double, double farts, double farts. And it was, but it was so serious. And so the audience had no idea to like, I wish they all would have been like, yeah, but no, they were quiet. It just was quiet and it was so dumb and awesome. And then we had to go through the rest of this fucking play just knowing I farted twice. 
and it was ridiculous. And of course, like we get off the stage and we're and and he's like, you farted. I was like, I farted. And it, and he's like, everyone heard it. I was like, uh huh. And then you made me do it again. He's like, yeah, I did. <laughs> So that was sort of like the beginning of theater. So I totally, that, okay. So we'll just transition into this next story. So I got this gig, got this job, um, doing a Christmas show, it's awesome, this is a great theater company, blah, 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 blah. Okay, I um, am in a French maid's outfit with fishnet tights. Okay, it's preview, so preview, so yeah, it's not opening, but it is preview, and there are people in the audience. So we're in this, this part of the play, and I'm in my friend's maid's outfit, and my scene partner, it's time for her to enter. And so the premise is like, this person who's entering has been buried alive for like weeks or something. And so all of a sudden, and her name, um, she's totally cool. I can say her name. Her name is Jessie Ray. So Jessie Ray comes in, and for some reason, she was like, I'm going to fuck with Mary on preview night. So she comes in, and so she's supposed to be buried alive. Yes, it's funny, um, but she comes in with red lipstick all around her face, bright blue eyeshadow, and I, in my mind, I was like, you're buried alive, when do you have time to put on this makeup? And she comes in, she's like, oh, and again, it's the eye thing, it's that connection, and I'm looking, I lost my shit, and I just broke, I broke, I, I consider myself a professional actor, and I fucking lost my shit. I peed on the stage. <laughs> I fucking pissed on this physical, it, and I, so it was, and I also got into like the pee stance, as my mom calls it, where I have to plug my ears so I don't hear anything, and I have to go like this, so I'm in the middle, and I tried to hide behind a chair, it didn't work, so I'm in the middle of this scene, and it is, it's a comedy, but this is not funny, and so I'm like this, and closing my ears, and there's pee just coming out. Coming out of my fishnet stockings on the ground, and the other actors are just trying to keep going. They're just trying to do the scene. And I'm behind a chair, and one of the other actors had to go get a paper towel and wipe it off. So I have, I've, lit, I've marked that. I own that theater now. Like, I, uh, I own it. Um, so, 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 uh, I've also like had those moments on stage where where I don't remember the line, I, and and that's like it's thirty seconds and it feels like it's ten hours and it's awful and it's scary, um, and then there was a time that I auditioned for a show. And they wanted you to sing a song from the show, so I was auditioning for Oklahoma, and I thought it would be really cool to like shake it up. So I was going to audition for Ado Annie, and if you guys are familiar, there's the song in that show that's like, I'm just a girl who can't say no. Now, get it? Okay. I thought, I'm like, I'm going to get them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come into this audition, and I'm going to get this part. So what I decided that I was going to do was sort of take that song literally. So I went in and auditioned with this. I'm just a girl who can't say no. Get it? Yeah. They didn't either. Um, but I kept going with the song because I'm just a girl who can't say no. So I didn't say no. So I was like, I'm just a girl who can't say mm. 
I'm in the terrible fix. And so this went on for a very long time. I didn't get the part, and I've never auditioned for there ever again. But it, this is one of those moments of, like, I was so serious, and I was like, I'm going to get this. They're going to love it. I'm a comedic genius. I'm hired for the rest of my life. Contracts, fucking Broadway, here I come. I was seriously thinking that I was owning that. And, and the reaction that they gave me was this exact same reaction that you're giving me right now. Um, so then I'm going to do one more little, little tidbit. Um, I was the Wicked Witch in the Wizard of Oz down at the Children's Theater. And I was in these, like, robes of a costume, and there was this broom that spit fire, and it, you'd, you'd, you would hear it click, it would be like, and then whoosh, and it was, like, 50 pounds. And so I was having to come up from this, like, tree trunk, and so I had to like, turn around, whatever. I fell. I bit it. I bit it on the stage. I just fell down. My heavy fire-breathing broom, like, scattered over there. And I'm crawling to get it. And I get it. And it's like Dorothy, the Tin Man, the, 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 it's that scene where the witch is scaring him. But I, <laughs> but I fell. And then <laughs> get my, rather than just Go with the scene, Mary. Just continue. So you fell. It's fine. No, I needed to comment on the fact that I fell. So I get, crawl, I get my broom, and I look at the, the lion, the tin man, and Dorothy, and the scarecrow, and I just said, witches fall down, but they're okay. <laughs> and then again, it's in the eyes. All fucking four of those idiots are like, what just happened? And you just see that, and again, it's like, I can't wait to get upstage so we can talk about why I even did that. Um, it was awful, and they're just like trying to be scared, and they're like, like that. <laughs> but so in all of this, in thinking about what I want to talk about, and there's so many more, guys. I could, I could go on about those moments in your life where you're, you're just trying so hard and you fall down, but fucking witches fall down and they're okay. So, <laughs> woo! Yeah. I'm gonna do a song from the record Golder, which is the one that um, we were doing the music video for when I found out I was Pragers.
everybody. Um, wow, where to start? I mean, life right now, life is really good. And even this past Monday, I had that same thought because I had a few friends over. I'm living on Park Point right now, right on the beach. The sun's up. It hadn't snowed yet. And I was drinking my first beer in like two months, and it was a Miller High Life. And I remember sipping on that Miller High Life thinking, I am living the high life right now. <laughs> it's so good, right? I've got a new job that has benefits, including life insurance. I just got a title to my first ever car, a Dodge Caravan. I know. And I had a budding romance. Ooh, spring is in the air. Life is indeed spiced. And I was thinking all this, <laughs> sipping on my Miller High Life. And um, I caught myself reflecting on another time where I thought I was living the high life, and then the hubris-inspired tragedy that struck and took it all away. So, let me preface. Two summers back, I was living on 3rd Ave and 16th, or 3rd Street and 16th Avenue East in an apartment that was kind of okay. My bedroom was in the basement, and I didn't have windows that brought any light into the room, and I couldn't have any plants, and the only time I could see is when I turned on the overhead light, which was far too bright and it killed any kind of mood I'd try to set, even if I had company over, or if it was just me hanging out. Didn't matter, it was way too bright. So, I go to my parents' house, and my mom pulls me aside and says, Yoni, we've got a number of extra candles if you'd like to take them for your apartment. I've never owned candles before. <laughs> and I hit the jackpot, because not only did I get a peach Prosecco tall candle in a glass jar, but I had like 20 cinnamon tea candles with a miniature tea candle holder. Mm-hmm, indeed. I was so excited, I knew exactly what to do with them. I left the peach Prosecco candle on my bedside dresser, and I put the mini tea candle holder on the back tank of my toilet. <laughs> right? I know. First timer, but I got it all figured out. So... <laughs> I was actually, I was really stoked about it. And later that afternoon, I remember lighting the peach Prosecco candle for 10 minutes just to find out how much light is there, how good does it smell, very good, and enough, right, or enough light where I could read my book at, in bed. And that was like, Duh! I, was, I was living the life. And I was living such a life that later that evening when I was with coworkers at Hoops for a little work function, I was telling them all about my candles. Even the coworkers that were very disinterested and the same coworkers that I definitely talked to way too much. <laughs> saying things like, guys, I've got candles, not one, not two, but 21 candles. That's like a sequel to a movie. And one of them's Peach Prosecco. I know, just like the ham. Mm. And I... <laughs> they're, they're glazed hams is what I later found out um, it's not a type of ham so we're at hoops celebrating 
And uh, I'm carrying that high of owning candles, and I'm definitely celebrating for me. And we go from hoops to the Ripple Bar, beers at hoops, shots at the Ripple. I've never done that before. And then another first, I went to karaoke at Spurs later that night, too. And I knew I was done because I was dancing on stage, and I fell right on my butt. And I said, Paul, bring me home. Unfortunately, the rest of the night is very hazy for me. And my roommates later told me that I had come in, they heard me, they didn't see me, and I was humming and singing and talking to myself all while opening and closing the refrigerator door. They even asked themselves, did Jonah bring someone home with him? Really, I may as well have, because honestly, when I woke up the next night, not only was my peach Prosecco candle down to its quarter lifespan, I had blown through 15 of my 20 cinnamon tea candles <laughs> all in one night. What a waste. I could have died, and the real kicker is I left the light on the whole time, too. <laughs> so talk about electricity, Bill, just climbing and climbing. And as I'm coming out of this haze of, like, peaches and hams and cinnamon, I look at my phone for the time, and I'm like, oh, no, I'm 30 minutes late to work, and nature's calling. So I get up, and I go into the bathroom, and just when I thought I hadn't seen enough, I found a 17th shell of a tea candle in my tea candle holder, empty. I lit that one, too. And my toilet seat was on the floor. How did it get there? I have no idea. I didn't even rip it off the hinges. I must have lit 17 of my candles and then painstakingly removed the screws to the toilet seat and then just put it there. I didn't have time to find the screws, and I certainly didn't have time to reassemble it if I did. So I did the only thing I could do. I picked up the seat, held it underneath myself, and let the entire morning know that I was awake. <laughs> so that was me, very much aware of a new wearisome of drinking on a weeknight, and also only having four candles to show for it. Thank you. I'm Adeline Wright, host of Gag Me With a Spoon. Thanks to our listeners, studio audience, storytellers, zeitgeist arts, and all of you who participated tonight. Our producer, Brooks Johnson, our sound engineer, Jake Nelson, our front of the house manager, Serena White, and all of you. Good night.